we're back. Thanks for joining us for part two. We needed a break. We needed to relax, rest, and recover ahead of another onslaught of film thoughts. Um, Glenn, but we really of... didn't recover enough, to be honest. I mean, it feels like, ah, oh, have we recovered? But we have bags under our eyes. We do. Uh, I don't have enough caffeine in my body, and frankly, I'll be rambling are. a bit. Yeah, so, yeah we'll, we'll 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 be a little bit rambling. You'll have to bear it with us. I'm drinking a tea right now. Um, my heart rate's through the roof. I'm barely holding on as it is, but let's see how it goes. Nothing could go wrong, right, under these conditions. <laughs> Coming up on this uh, part two of the podcast, we're going to be talking about Cow from the Wild Sea and Taming the Garden, a trio of ecological documentaries, Corvatis Aida and Hive, um, you know, Kosovo and uh, Bosnian war tragedy films. We're going to be talking about City Hall, four and a half hour documentary, Slalom, um, a, a very interesting film about the dynamics of sexual abuse, Pleasure, a film about the dynamics of porn, and Zola, as well as one of the few films that we did not like at this festival, The Story of My Wife. Shall we get into it? We shall get into it. Let's do it. So what did you think of Cal? It's a new film from Andrea Arnold. Okay, that's, I think it's a very Andrea Arnold film. It is. I know, I know that's not a very good description, but I think it's a very accurate description. Yeah, we can get into that it. There, there is a stylistic uh, approach to the film, which feels within the very first two minutes, you can guess, oh my God, okay, this is what the film is going to be. And it's yeah. exactly what the film is for the entirety of the film. It feels relentless after yes. a certain point, but I think it's definitely by design. Yeah, this is supposed to make you feel the claustrophobia in the yeah. mind and putting you in the headspace of an actual cow that's been in the ranch. That's right. You're seeing the same routines, the same daily life struggles that the cows go through constantly. And, uh, you know, the, it's filmed with this shaky handheld camera, which, you know, an Andrea Arnold trademark. Um, it's set in these um, really dingy, English, foggy kind of marshy landscapes, which again are an Andrea Arnold uh, trademark. If you've seen her version of Wuthering Heights, you know what I mean? And it, it's, yeah, it's focused on misery as a lot of her films are it's focused on the the physical body suffering um and it, it's grim <laughs> it's grim but this film is an interesting compare and contrast for me with another film on farm animals we saw earlier in the year gunda um that film was extremely aestheticized um black and white neat images um trying to create poetry to make you think about um the ways that we treat animals this film also has poetic touches, but again, it's much more in the harsh realism kind of um, terrain. And uh, this film is the, the, the problem for me, as you said, that it's relentless. It's the sledgehammer approach. When you're seeing the same thing over and over again, um, and it's constantly shot in a way that's designed to shock you and, and giving you discomforting images, it, there's a risk that has come up in a few of these ecological documentaries I've watched of becoming monotonously grimly boring. And I, I'm not saying that we should be making uplift or trying to shy away from it. I, do, I don't think this film was boring. I don't think no, it was you're right. boring. It's not but, boring. But the actual relentlessness of it made me think that I definitely do not want to watch this again. Yes, like it, exactly. It felt, it felt like an experience that I'm, I'm okay. I'm, yeah, I'm midway through glad the to be watching this. Yes. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay to watch this because I need to watch it because it's yeah. saying something important. But yeah. would I subject myself to this again in the theater or otherwise? No. Never. That's it. Midway through the movie, I had the exact same thought. I, I thought, I never want to watch this again. 
Um, I, I like the idea that we shouldn't shy away from looking at these things and I retract what I said. You're right, it's not boring. It's definitely a kind of meditative experience where you need to get into the rhythm of it. But considering it's a nearly wordless 90 minute documentary um, from a fiction filmmaker trying out documentary for the first time and experimenting, it could be said to be a great success. It's very claustrophobic and I felt yes. the Highly very filming intense, them both. Mm. intense close-ups into the kind of eyes of the cow and everything else where, you know, especially you kind of feel the narrow lanes, the cow mm. has yeah, to traverse in the very being, same routines over and over and over again. That's it. They're being pushed down these little pathways and it's like your life is dictated for you. And one of the most interesting aspects of the film is down one of those pathways is the milking section where um, you, we keep hearing these pop songs with female singers and it raises yeah. the question, are we supposed, is this saying this is the experience of women? Um, this is definitely also a film about animal rights. It's not just a metaphor about women, yeah. but um, does Andrea Arnold also want to say this is what, you know, when your path is dictated for you by society, this is what happens to you? Yeah, but also I think there is the only subtle aspect, which is the pop song use, mm. which gives you that layering that despite the grim reality, there's this perceived layering and perception oh, everything is happy though. We should have a pop song playing in the background. Mm. And everybody knows that this is a depressing situation. Yeah. But you are ignoring the reality of the depressing situation mm. by putting on a pop song as if everything is okay. Which yeah. is probably the only kind of subtle uh, innuendo as to postmodern life, as to mm. where we ignore our own sort of harsh realities by playing a pop song in the mind in the moment. Yeah, you're right. But towards the end of the, the final pop song of the film breaks that by yes. the cover it of Gimme Love by Bonnie Iver, which has such, in the context of this film, really tragic lyrics. You know, the talk of wasted love after you've watched so many calves being taken away from these cows and seen how gentle and delicate they are with each other really actually hit me hard. I, I think, look, yeah, I think the opening sequence, which starts with the birthing sequence and, and uh, just to see, it's not that we don't know that the cows are taken away from these uh, cows and mothers. Uh, it, it's it's not that you know we aren't aware of it, but and actually made to see it. Actually, making to see it without editing, it feels very you know the editing is there, but it's deliberately felt like it's loosely edited. It's not mm. it's not that crisp raw you know crisp clean editing that you'd be used to. Mm. So the the scenes are deliberately put together where they're held longer than necessary to make you feel an extra bit of discomfort. Yeah, she's uh, a very interesting filmmaker. She's making real choices with the aesthetic here. Yeah, uh, but that, that birthing sequence kind of made me feel, uh, you know, it's not that we didn't know about it, but just the fact about taking a child away from a mother from the very beginning and then yeah. doing it over and over and, and over again. the physical again, effect and, of the And also psychological you know? scarring that might take place over time. Yeah. Uh, and, and you could really see the, the cows changing in appearance. I know they looked practically mm. the same, but I felt you see by it. the end they did change in how they looked, not just yeah. in terms of age, but in terms of how much the, the kind of liveliness on their faces, they mm. looked as if yeah. they were dead. Yeah, you know, that's Even it. if they weren't, they looked they were dead. Yeah, and the, what's interesting is the question of to what extent do we anthropomorphize animals, to what extent are we projecting on them, but I think you picked up on something that's very much real and the film wants us to consider that we're not considering that in their own way cows are people too, yeah. you know, they have an emotional land life. It's, it's clear and, and it's true because you could hear the, the wailing moves 
when yeah. when you know the car was separated, and you could really see the real emotion in there. Yeah, it, and also it wasn't just sounds. The hesitation. Um, that one of the a few moments in because this film is so kind of monotonous. There's just a few moments that really stick with me. But things like the hesitation of the the cows to go back in their pen. Yeah. There's also um, there's moments of poetry, right? Like the the thing about this this. Um, farm, probably the reason they allowed it to be filmed um, is because this is, as far as dairy farms go, a really nice one. This allows them some, some long free range time in, uh, you know, overnight and such, which allows for some gorgeous nighttime digital photography. Yeah. The best I've ever seen in, in a documentary. Um, and, and the people at the farm actually aren't presented in a, in a negative light. I no, think they're, they're not. just doing their job. Exactly. Yeah. And, and some of them do show a degree of kindness to the cows. Yeah, um, there's camaraderie and they, they're kind yeah. of, you know, they're trying to cheer people up and, and yeah. everything is actually, so right. I, I can see why they would be happy for this to be filmed in, in their premises. So that's, that's right. They might not be happy when they see the final. Yeah, film, yeah. But the, um, you know, sneaking in one under the system, I guess, is what film. No, no, but it's, it, it's mostly about like, if you were being used in a film, you'd want to see if your portrayal was not, done negatively and I it's think it's not unfair it's not unfair to it's them. a perspective yeah. but it's not unfair um yeah. but one more thing about how this is actually one of the nicer dairy farms there's no artificial insemination as far as we can see they actually allow the cows to naturally mate um and yeah. what I found really interesting about one of the scenes well a scene where we see this happen um that real that gave a different kind of perspective on animal life and animal emotions is that I think um, we tend to look at animals that just hook up with an animal they've just another animal they've just met and then just get to sex and think it's just an emotionless rutting. And you know, humans, we have passionate sex, animals just like run up against each other and they there's no emotional kind of connection. To see the, this cow and bull mate, and then afterwards the cow comes around and rests her head on the bull, the yeah. bull's back, while the bull sort of just is very calm and gentle with her, made you think that. We don't. Have, they're a different intelligence, but we don't. We can't judge or really understand what's going on inside their minds. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, this film was uh, okay. I'm going to revise my opinion in the sense that it did have a sledgehammer approach, but it had moments of subtlety which took mm. me by surprise. Me, I agree. The, with the that. entirety of the film is a sledgehammer. Yes, yeah. but within the film, there are parts which are so subtle. Hmm. that did catch you by surprise because you were expecting relentless sledgehammer approach over and over again. Yeah. And when those moments don't come, you actually are surprised as if like, oh, okay, I wasn't expecting this moment of lightness, levity, or this kind of beautiful tender moment in here right. because it's all more and more claustrophobia, claustrophobia, more claustrophobia. There's a lot of blood and pus and mud and machinery and animals being you know, used, pushed into machinery and such, which is really upsetting to watch. So when it was over, I remember when we spoke about it, we said, we know this, is this really necessary? But the more I think and talk about the film, the more I like it. I don't love this film because I, I, I had such an unenjoyable experience. And, yeah. and it'd be very hard for me to recommend this to someone who I know doesn't like queasy cinema that's right. in general. Yeah. But if you're open to um, a film as a conversation piece, not necessarily made to be enjoyed, I do recommend this film. I mean, this uh, uh, this film probably would be a great one for people to turn vegan, I suppose. I mean, yeah. uh, this could yeah. be one of those. Kunda was similarly 
that yeah. way. But this film, I think, and I think in uh, Gundar I enjoyed more as I was watching it, but yeah. um, the Joaquin Phoenix approved one. But Cow, <laughs> um, Cow made me think more. Yeah, I agree. So uh, I, I suppose when all said and done, I recommend Cow. Um, yeah. Okay. So there's recommend one more... Cow depending on what you want out of the experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So there's one more screening of Cow, um, and that is the Sunday night. Sunday yep. night, Cow, uh, I, Newtown, I believe, try and check it out. Uh, I think it's an interesting compare and contrast with another grim ecological documentary I saw from the Wild Sea. This is following um, marine life rescue in Ireland, right? And um, for me, this was an example of um, the monotony, the danger of the monotonously tragic approach. It's full of upsetting imagery. I expected from this film more of a broad kind of landscape driven approach showing our impact on the environment. And there's some powerful images in this film, like um, at the beginning of the film, seeing a bunch of swans swimming across the lake that this massive tanker is um, moving across the ocean in the background. And then later on in the film, seeing those swans covered in oil having to be rescued. But um, essentially this is a formless movie. It's um, cold and repetitive in shots. And it's a lot of shots of animals suffering, animals bleeding, animals that sometimes can be saved, but are wailing in distress, mostly seals. Seals with their dog-like characteristics and big expressive eyes um, with horrible lacerations on them. Talk of whales' internal organs being crushed to death when they get beached on, on a sea. Um, and uh, the looming specter of worse storms causing more of these disasters because of climate change. It's a really upsetting film. Um, and again, this is about that idea of, do we look away? Should we make a tragic film responding to tragic circumstances? I think absolutely yes, but I don't think it, it was justified in this film. It didn't tell me anything I didn't already know. It made me confront it, but I got the point within about 20 minutes and this goes on for about 80. So um, it's on streaming. Uh, if you enjoy watching animals suffering, <laughs> Sorry, that's a condescending remark, but this film is going to be available on streaming uh, from Friday night. So okay. uh, SFF On Demand from the Wild Sea. Another ecological documentary is Taming the Garden. Um, yeah, I, I missed that. I really wanted to see it, but the only timings that were-, were I know that okay. the timing was very hard for this one, yeah. um, but I made it happen. I don't, I honestly, it was a good film overall, but I wish I just caught up on sleep instead. Um, this one, was described in the program as one of the most visually stunning films of the festival or the perhaps the most visually stunning film of the festival. I disagree, um, probably because I've watched so many of these slow cold European um, art house extravaganzas. This is, but um, this film is about a really interesting and absurd social situation. Um, and it's also about the ways that we abuse the environment. And beyond that, the ways that we abuse history and the things that corruption makes possible. Um, the points that it makes are interesting, but I didn't, it didn't need to be 90 minutes long. This, I, there's so many, um, you know, film from a remove, gorgeously composed shots of people chopping down trees. After a while, it's like, I get it. Occasionally, this film comes to life with a tragedy and a poetry that hits you. Um, there's a, a, a few incredible images midway through the film um, that speak a thousand words, really. And 
I respect um, documentary filmmakers, um, the recent trend of trying to frame and put their films together as if it was an art house fiction film with these kind of like immaculately composed long takes. I should explain what this is actually about. This is about um, a billionaire who's decided to create an immense private garden. Um, the film doesn't reveal this for about 30 minutes by basically taking his pick of the best, oldest, most beautiful trees from these uh, villages and natural environments and relocating them on a boat across the sea to the private garden that he's building. It's such an absurd idea and it's so disrespectful and it says a lot about wealth and power structures. But I don't think it needed to be a 90 minute film with this kind of cold removed wordless long takes approach. Um, at a okay. certain point, it feels like the, the way you're describing it was probably a kind of film which would be right up my alley. I love political films in, in the sense that they, they're not political on the nose, but they actually are political by the nature and the design of it. Yeah, so, and the, the film works best when it's starting to show you the absurdity of the situation. Like it finds these, because it's such a huge spectacle to watch a tree in, being uprooted. Uh, and transplanted, including its huge root systems across roads and then the oceans. Honestly, the standout of this film, um, I, I wondered about whether I would be spoiling it by mentioning this, but I feel like um, the image speaks so loudly that I can't give away its power, is watching the people of a community following this truck. Some of them, some of people, some are just watching in sort of awe, some of them are crying. Some of them are holding hands, like we're witnessing something really powerful happening as this tree just drives away into the sunset. Yeah. Amazing filmmaking, right? Yeah, it, it, it feels like it's basically, you know, how you'd follow a deity, you know, and it's, mm. it's what, and yeah, nature does have that kind of godlike reverence as well. Yeah. Um, so it does it kind of feel like people following a procession as a deity yeah. is being transported from one place to another. Yeah, but the film tries to show you, um, it shows you, as I keep saying, the absurdity um, and the immensity of the situation, but it also tries to um, show you that there's different perspectives. Like some people are okay with it because sure, he's taking the trees, but he's he's uh, making up for it by fixing the oh, roads God. in our in our village. He's doing things like that to keep the peace. And we so watch, he's, he's doing what, sorry, fixing what? He's like investing in infrastructure like roads for some of the villages oh, okay, yeah. building their sacred nice. trees yeah. from. Yeah. Take away <laughs> the trees, give you, give you jobs, capitalism. Yeah. Nice. That's it. That's it. Yeah. It's a, and you, you see, what, what was that uh, slogan by Scott Morrison this week? Can do capitalism? Yeah. Can do oh, capitalism. Oh, I missed that. I've just been buried in films and I'm glad I didn't hear that. But, oh, <laughs> anyway, no more political commentary. Movies aren't political. <laughs> this is, yeah. Anyway. So on the note of films that aren't political, Quo Vadis Aida, a film about the structural failures of the United Nations. Uh, this, <laughs> this film is set, uh, based on true events about the Serbian massacre of a Bosnian village in 1995. Um, well, I should say the massacre by Serbian troops um, of a Bosnian village in 1995, which was meant to be protected by the United Nations. They'd made a promise to do that and they made deals with the Serbians to keep the peace. Yet when it all came down to it, the chain of command uh, was not there in order to um, actually support the, the troops. And the troops um, were not prepared enough for this kind of high stress situation. And so everything falls apart. And the film follows a translator who um, is allowed inside the compound, right? You know, being that she's working with the UN. Um, where 
uh, thousands of, of people from this village are being kept protected inside this compound. And of course, everyone's denying being military because if you're military, you're going to be executed. Um, people are waiting outside, being held at bay by troops holding guns, you know, being told we're full, you can't come in. It's squalid, horrible conditions inside. And the translator works incredibly hard to try to allow systems to be um, made, uh, to be loosened a bit, just to protect her family, just to allow them in, and then to, um, you know, bend the rules a little bit so that she can get her family out of there. It's a pretty tragic film, but and it is received an overwhelming positive praise. It's going to be available. Um, sorry, it is a good film. I think uh, it, the breakdown of how the system falls apart and the, the failures of leadership um, and courage are well expressed. But I admired it more than I loved it, and more than I, outside of the most tragic moments in it, really felt it. Um, I, I loved the way that it has this constant sense of frantic motion as, as she's moving around. Visually, it's very well thought out, but everyone will be different. Maybe for me, it feels a little bit too intellectual, especially the way that it ends for the emotional connection to really come through. But I still recommend the film. It's available on demand. Um, so another film that's available on demand, which I haven't seen based on your advice, Brad, is Hive. Yes, Hive, I saw it back at Sundance and it's, it's a very Sundancey film. Uh, I, mean, I mean, that's the best description of it. Okay, every year, okay, people who don't uh, know about this, every, I think every film festival has a culture, has a style, has probably the kind of films that the people who are the regulars of that festival mostly relate to. Mm -hmm. And Sundance over the years has got a culture of a certain type of films that are successful that come out of Sundance that once you see them later on in the year, you can just tell by their structure design and their on the nose messaging that this is exactly a Sundancey kind of film. It's funny, you made the comparison to one from a few years ago, which a lot of people love, but I absolutely hated Monos. And for me, that was the moment when I said, I'm not seeing this movie because that's really the kiss of death for me. Yes. So Monos, which, uh, which uh, is actually, I feel a very direct comparison with Hive. Uh, this film is also extremely political. It's, uh, but it wears its politics on its sleeve as if that's the only thing that's important about the movie. And I think that's mm -hmm. where, and I don't like those movies where the messaging overpowers the formalistic elements yeah. or the intent of movie making. And in this film, there's, it's a message which could have been delivered in any other format. It didn't need to be a movie. And I think that's the problem. I'm like, if you're going to make a movie, utilize the visual medium. Yeah. If you want to deliver a message, you deliver the message in many different ways. It could be a speech, could be a flyer, could be a propaganda, uh, you know, loudspeaker message, could be whatever. But why do you make a movie? Because it has a visual medium to it. Yeah. Utilize the medium. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, like um, Krobatis Ayedov was a film with this very strong message, but they'd used the visual and empathetic empathetic um, and uh, location and time spanning abilities of film in order to tell the story. You're speaking my language when you say this about Hive, because a thought I've seen a lot of people on film Twitter saying recently, which I agree with, is, you know, why make a movie if you're not trying to express something that you don't already know? You know, yeah. that you find, like, you might have a meaning you want to impart, but you also find more meaning and more things to say through the process of imagining it as a film and dreaming and uh, bringing that intersection of imagination and reality into life. 
And it sounds like this film is more about just um, hitting you over the head with the message. I had a bad feeling about it when, um, and uh, please don't judge me for this listeners. When I read the description, um, I didn't read the whole description, but just the one line in this, you know, headline in the Sydney Film Festival guide, which said something like, blah, 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 Kosovo war drama, the story of a mother fighting against patriarchy. And I thought we've seen so many films um, that are riding the wave um, of more awareness of feminism and more and actually look, yeah. of patriarchy, right? And, but, and um, let, let, let me, I agree. Like, Mess, but like message driven as, as a, and like a sledgehammer approach. I've seen so many of those films and I don't need to see another one if that's all you have to say. Yeah, okay. So this is a drama for the directorial debut and it's basically about a woman who, whose husband goes missing and then she becomes an entrepreneur and then uh, in the process of becoming an entrepreneur she realizes she only wants to recruit women and basically be, make it a women collective hmm. and then fight against societal expectations that oh my God, you know, are, are you are you basically a group of men hating women who want to like make more money or, or is there more to it? So the the way the politics of this film is phrased, and I want to compare this with the Aquarius, a film we saw a few years ago, yeah. starring Sonia Braga, which is also about a woman kind of going up against arms against patriarchy, but in a much more subtle way. The politics of that film was much more rooted within society. In this film, this could have been said anywhere. I didn't realize or didn't see it being said in Kosovo to be any, any importance to the script. It's it's basically a generic Sundance message movie about, hey, women taking over the world and mm. good. And I remember an essay by uh, New York Times culture critic, Wesley Morris, where he's talking about the morality wars. Mm. And he was discussing his fraught relationship with the Bill Cosby show. While he was growing up, it was his favorite show. And now with Bill Cosby being canceled, he was wrestling with his own... Uh, well, liking of the show as he, when he was younger and whether or not he's even allowed to like the show anymore. I think you that. are because the show isn't, I don't yeah. know. I'll get it. I know, I, I know. I know. But also the point was, he made a really interesting point where he said in today's postmodern times, the politics of a film sometimes become more important than the film itself. Hmm. Uh, and we're living in a time where if your film checks certain boxes, it has diversity, representation, and you know it is doing certain things right per se. Yeah. Uh, then that film is automatically good. Mm. It doesn't need to have certain cinematic merits. People to be have considered. been conditioned to to perceive things these days like politically good equals good. Politically makes me uncomfortable. I, it must be bad and a product of my enemies. Even if the making you uncomfortable is part of sending a message that's actually in alignment with your values, people aren't ready to accept that kind of thinking at yeah. the moment. And let, the let, like, let me, yeah. It's not how art works. I agree. But also, let me clarify here that I'm not being a bad POC and saying representation should, is not needed and that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do feel representation for the sake of representation is not important. And actually, it is more tokenism than actual tokenism itself. So right. I feel uh, that's where we have to draw the line and say just just because if representation is the only important thing in your movie or your message is the only important thing to your film, then maybe it shouldn't be a film. It should be any other medium. You're not actually making a movie in the first place. But anyway. I'm with you on that. That's Um, a discussion we should have probably in a later date. But that was Hive and it's- It's on demand. It's a message movie, basically. Yeah. 
what what you said there reminded me of one of the films I really liked this festival, um, which we might catch up on when uh, the other film fighters have had a chance to catch it, which is Friends and Strangers. Funny Australian film, one of my favorite. Um, it, it gets better as it goes on. Um, uh, the final set piece that goes for about like 40 minutes, I found uh, to be hilarious, awkward comedy. Um, but this is a film that is by design non-diverse. And I did a very interesting uh, interview with Potuasia, um, interesting in my opinion anyway, uh, with the, uh, the director and producer. And this is a film that struggled to find life, even though it's one of the most incisive commentaries on lack of diversity to come out of the Australian film scene in years. Um, I would say it's the most incisive film on this subject from a white filmmaker. And he's decided to build it around the lack of diversity so as to make a point about how um, incestuous and uninclusive Australia is. But the checkbox approach means that this film was viewed as being politically bad for being non-diverse. It just shows how there's no thinking going on. There's just a rigid approach of does this ascribe to my preconceived ideals? But even then, I mean, I mean, isn't that isn't that basically the problem in a nutshell? Where instead of trying to understand a perspective, mm -hmm. any perspective, and you mm -hmm. know, we're not saying whether or not you are left or right or whatever. Yeah. We now come with the we're all living in echo chambers and we're subscribing to them. And the fact is, if the product that is has your name attached to it doesn't have your echo chamber thinking also being prescribed to it, it's then not part of our tribe. Then, then, then we don't want your name attached to it. So, yeah. which is where I feel like this checkbox approach, and this is probably a problem in production companies as well, where creatives have always had issues in pitching ideas to production companies because they are coming at it from a commercial lens and a completely different lens, hmm. and creatives just want to tell a story. So, hmm. it, it's very hard to bridge that gap. How do we do that? I don't know. Hmm. So, I guess uh, don't see Hive or do if you want to, do see Friends and Strangers. They're both available. I, I think there, there's going to be a certain kind of crowd who loves that sundance kind of vibe, and they might yeah. love Hive. Well, and I'm sure they love Monos, but to me, it was a dreadful experience. Yeah, so, so people did. So if you love Monos, it's, maybe watch Hive? Yeah, yeah. Okay. If you love um, Aquarius, you would hate Hive. If you love Monos, you'd love Hive. Okay. Yeah. Well, then, yeah. yeah, so available on the on-demand streaming website. Uh, another political film, which I wish it was streaming on demand because so many people who said I can't do that might have taken it if they had uh, the ability to take a break. It's City Hall by Frederick Wiseman. But um, this is a four and a half hour documentary. If, if you've watched some of Wiseman's previous films, especially from the past few decades, you know what to expect. It's an in-depth in look at the way that an institution works made by showing you both its public facing presentations and uh, its internal uh, political discourse and meetings. Yeah, I absolutely loved this film. I, I was surprised because when I when I was yeah, trying you didn't to, think I'd like it. You know, no, no, not that. I I, I thought. Oh, you didn't think in, I'd love in it. Terms of, in terms of progression of Wiseman's filmography, I think In Jackson Heights was probably the most focused and most mm. interesting in terms of different things being happening on screen. Mm. And then as we progressed. Ex Libris, Monrovia, Indiana, and City Hall, uh, it gets more monotonous as things go on. And mm -hmm. with the runtime, I thought City Hall was tried my patience in terms mm -hmm. of, because it's so, once again, a relentless film about process. And yeah. that, that can be boring. Uh, but people who are very much into protocol and process and are 
very much. We had to do things the right way and it's important to document everything. Mm. Would love it. But still, I felt in the progression of those films, in terms of the political cinema that Wiseman is now making, which is purely about how process gets corrupted mm. and, and basically- well, how process can work. Of, yeah, process doesn't work. Why the systems are broken, not that system is broken. I think we all know that. We all know that we are at a point where I think the world's politics is aware that mm. institutions are broken. But mm. Wiseman is going now the next layer down and trying to understand why and how these systems are exactly broken and yeah. whether or not they can be fixed. Yeah. So he has to look at the minutiae of these you know, workings within the political systems themselves for that process is important. So and I just see why he's doing it, whether or not it works. To be clear, the, um, yeah. a couple of things relevant to this. One, um, Wiseman's now 91 years old. And I think his films in terms of focusing on minutiae and getting longer and slower are reflecting his changing worldview as he gets older. And on a certain level, though it's hard for me as a young whippersnapper to watch a four and a half hour movie, I appreciate it. Um, I mean, he's he's bringing us into his his own perspective of the world, and uh, you know that's what art's about, I suppose. Once again, get out of your echo chamber. There you exactly. go. Exactly. Exactly. Now, to be more specific, this film is about Boston City Council. Um, but the reason why I think partly I found the film so moving, despite being a movie about process, 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 is this is a great council. The I I, I challenge anyone who I guess is not a Trump supporter because he badmouths Trump a few times to come away from this film not loving Mayor Marty Walsh. Um, he, near the beginning of the film, says that his government is about listening to people. Yeah. Listening to people and trying to implement changes. And you see through the film, when whether he's there or not, that that's what they're doing. You see meetings where um, people are identifying an issue and saying, how can we change that? The structure, even though this film, you could say, is monotonous, I think there's a very clear progression of ideas the opening of the film, the thesis statement, they're talking about the budget. What is the budget? We talk about priorities and once a year we get to bring everyone's feedback and say, what are our priorities going forward? Um, and you, we basically watch, um, yeah, different meetings, different um, government outreach programs, the way government responds, um, the, the messaging, uh, the way it responds to issues that arise. Um, one of the things that comes across about Mayor Marty is um, that he is such an honest man for a politician. Yes. He's so uh, he's not putting up a front. His approach is always, if he when he makes a speech, try and find something personal and use it to build a bridge. Yeah, try his speeches feel uh, very raw. They're not speech written. They, it doesn't right. feel like it's drafted by a speechwriter. That's right. He's, coming from a real experience. And he's, yeah, he's willing to reveal raw and honest things about himself that politic would usually be political poison um, or would be considered to be that. But because he's doing it with such integrity and sincerity, people see where he's coming from and his approach of building bridges really works. Um, and as I was watching this film, I thought this is, I mean, a big theme because it's about Boston, um, more than 50% minorities, um, is about the immigrant experience in America and the struggle for better representation for immigrants for, um, and repayment for what they put into the society. It's about building a better society. And uh, it's real. I was thinking as, you know, um, around the halfway point as we watched this incredible um, sequ moving sequence of listening on a, in a Veterans Day presentation to a number of veterans talk about their experiences of war and then Marty talked to them about opening up. This movie is about the ideals that America 
is supposedly about the ideals that America in its mythology says that it was built on. And uh, it's very much a reaction against the Trump administration that's saying, keep the faith and uh, don't give up hope. And at the end of this film, um, there's a rendition of the American national anthem that in light of the four and a half hours of process about how can we try and do things better, hit me with a huge emotional force. You know, usually I hear, I associate that song with all, with dumb patriotism, even though it's a beautiful national anthem, I've just heard it in so many bad contexts that I shut down, but this movie had the power to make me really feel it. Uh, so I can't recommend City Hall enough. I think it might not be Frederick Wiseman's best film, but though I was overloaded with information, I wasn't bored over four and a half hours, which is incredible to me. Wow. Okay. Now I'm yeah, glad you I'm glad you liked it because look, Wiseman deserves all the love he, he yeah. gets and, and he should get. And how you know to be making films this good at 91 years old and also to be um still engaged with contemporary issues. This is a of the moment. This is um about representation. This is about LGBT rights, and most of all, this is about my you know people of color um fighting for a bigger share of the play um to be that engaged and to have not become conservative just shows how incredibly open frederick wiseman is and i think it's because his approach like marty walsh's has always been about sitting back and listening so that's city hall it's going to be a hard one to find but if you get an opportunity and you can find four and a half hours don't pass it up there is it was released as a pbs special yeah in the US. PBS has been airing his, his long yeah. so there should be copies floating around of it somewhere. Um, yeah, we're not recommending that you find a copy, but <laughs> there, there are copies of it if it's available. I It'll can, be I somewhere. Can... So um, if we're going to do some in brief ones of a few that uh, only one of us have seen, and uh, then we'll close out talking about Story of My Wife. So, Slalom. This is a really interesting French film about um, a Slalom skier who um, it, you know, has feelings of a lack of worth, who is isolated alone without her family um, in, the in a national team um, training uh, program, essentially, who starts to be um, sexually abused by her coach. This film's going to be available on demand. I recommend you check it out. I had it booked, I had it booked uh, to watch it on Wednesday night, but then I, which is yesterday. Uh, but then I realized it was my brother's birthday. Mm. And then I was like, oh, then it's weird back. But no. I'll say my, uh, well, you'll get a chance to see it, thankfully, as will everybody else. I, yeah. Not many people went. I think they're turned off by the subject matter, but I think this film really should be seen. Um, if so they saw Athlete A, and I really enjoyed it, on, on which is now on Netflix now. Um, which one? Documentary about uh, Athlete A. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is inspired by those sorts of things. Uh, those okay. sorts of and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. yeah. Um, we can discuss it more when you've seen it. But in light of some of the, the conversations about um, some of the discourses that surround conversations about film these days, watching it, I thought about the idea that um, has been coming up a lot that rape should never be depicted, that um, this is off limits because it's traumatizing. I don't want people who are going to be triggered by this film to watch this film. And I think maybe we can have, not maybe, we should have better systems in place so that people can find out if they're worried about what content is in a film so that they can avoid triggers. Yeah. I, I, th I, I think film festivals can have trigger, trigger warnings yeah. or content warnings yeah. for a film so that people can walk out before the film starts. It's fine. Sure, exactly. But I, I think they should, there should be a place where you can avoid spoilers, but you can check it if you want. 
I don't I don't think that they should I don't think it would be a spoiler if it's just a trigger warning or a quantum hmm. warning. Hmm. Yeah. But anyway. but yeah, watching Slalom, I thought this has an empathetic power that simply hearing anecdotes about this sort of thing wouldn't have. Um, to me, this completely justifies the role of actually depicting these things and not shying away because this builds such an extraordinary empathy for the victim. It's a much more powerful film than Athlete A, and it seems extremely well rehearsed, uh, sorry, not rehearsed, extremely well researched in terms of um, its analysis of the interpersonal dynamics and the emotional impacts of psychological and sexual abuse and uh, the way that emotions are bigger for a, a, a child, essentially. Yeah, and also from a, like a, a coach and, 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 and the- Power dynamic. The pandemic the between power. a coach and an athlete, yeah. And the, uh, and the, um, the pain of silence. So I really recommend Slalom um, much better than you might think. Um, right. another, another film delving into uh, politically you know, uh, contentious issues is Pleasure. This is a film by a Swedish feminist about the porn scene in LA. And on paper, that sounds like it could go in the hive direction about just being a sledgehammer approach message about here's what I think about why porn is bad. But the film really disarmed me by being, I think, extremely fair, um, accurate to the stories I've read and the documentaries I've watched about what it's like inside the porn industry accurate to the way that people treat each other, accurate to the kind of fronts that people put on, and, but how there is also a sense of camaraderie between the people within that situation, accurate to the coercion that goes on. Um, the, ultimately, the film could have just easily been a, a screed about trying to make you feel bad, but the film succeeds at making you feel bad for being accurate because you feel like you're watching something fair. The message about how horrifying this scene is is really comes through, you know? It, I, I, you, you're, it, you're open to it because you feel like the, the deck is not stacked in, in a way that you wouldn't be if this film was just something, someone with an ax to grind who hadn't done their research made. And the main character who comes from Sweden wanting to do porn um, and uh, for reasons that no one's quite sure why and a lot of other characters are questioning who she really is and her motivations, is such an interesting cipher She's weird enough that you, you are not blank enough that you, you, she holds your attention. And then she surprises you with some of the things she does, both um, in terms of things that endear you to her more and things that make her disgusting to us. Um, it's such an interesting film. I really recommend Pleasure if you get a chance to catch it. It's screened at the festival and not on demand, but I'm sure uh, this film will have a life in some, in some way. It's, it's, um, it's sexually explicit while being completely unerotic. Um, which, uh, you know, is how it should be. Kind of, yeah, kind of by design, I suppose. Exactly. Um, what about Zola? I haven't seen it yet. We'll talk about it more next week, but there's one more screening of the festival, I think, tonight. Yeah. So Zola is the uh, kind of, uh, I would say, crime, black comedy, kind of hype mashup by Janiska Bravo, and it stars Riley Keough and uh, Taylor Page. Uh, so it's based on a, a viral Twitter thread, uh, mm. by a former stripper mm. called Zola. Uh, so for the record, we'll be reviewing this film um, either next week or the week after because it's getting a general cinema release on the 18th after yeah. the final Saturday night screening at SFF. Exactly. So it, it's basically based on a viral thread uh, by a former stripper called Zola uh, and uh, basically follows two uh, strippers, two friends and strippers, essentially, within uh, the industry. And uh, they get into some nasty 
things and then they have to get out of it. Uh, the very direct comparison that I can make from this is Spring Breakers by Hamid Kareem. It sounds it, like a, it sounds like a great double feature with pleasure. Yes, it it would be, but at the same time, I saw I like Spring Breakers a lot more. That was a lot more subtle. It knew what it was doing. And if I had to pick Zola and Spring Breakers, I would say just watch Spring Breakers. It has everything Zola has, and it's better. And that's funny anyway. is I don't even love Spring Breakers much, but it's a good film, but I don't love it. But that's the thing. If you didn't love Spring Breakers, then you would hate this. Oh. It's an inferior film to Spring Breakers. Right. That's how I feel. Because it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a more grim film. Yes, it is following in the same stylistic direction. Mm. It's hyper-stylized, kind of hyper-real sensibility of what's real and it's it's got that ditzy ditzy uh glamour aesthetic Hmm. to the world where and it's probably by design because showing you how it pulls in people into this industry Hmm. and it forces you to kind of glamorize your own body and think that you're in control when you really aren't in control right and that's what the film is trying to go for right but also the film is trying to show how pathological people are drawn to this industry Pleasure is about this as well. Pleasure is about this as well. The comparison when you compare uh, this film to Spring Breakers, the comparison I make for Pleasure is Showgirls um, because it's about, you know, how the backstabbing, it's a melodrama about the the bad ways people treat each other and the soul selling you're encouraged to do to survive in this industry. But uh, Pleasure is also about the question of control. Are you in control of your body or are you submitting to systems of coercion? But it it doesn't sound like Zola does it so well because you didn't like the film much. No, no, no. So because uh, the thing is with Zola, I think the focus is more on the pathological characters themselves. And it's not like they feel they're in control. They deliberately manipulate other people because they feel that they're in control and they're the ones calling the shots. Hmm. Uh, And I think the whole film is basically lessened by it because it's less a commentary on the system and more a kind of fly on the wall take of like, oh, look, crazy shit is happening, but we are here to watch it. So, you know, you're in there. Uh, so I think that kind of takes away from the impact, uh, unfortunately. Uh, and also, uh, I mean, essentially you have uh, Riley Keough playing Tiffany, who is basically, you know, uh, just a person there who is just existing to cause drama. Right. right? And beyond a certain point in time, you kind of feel like, okay, I've got the shtick, but there's nothing more to it. We'll talk about it more later, but uh, lastly, just in brief, um, we watched, look, I've seen all the competition films, uh, or I I will have once I've seen Drive My Car, except for The Drover's Wife, and so I can't comment on that, whether that one's good or bad, but every other film I found at least good, varying degrees of good, except- I want to give a disclaimer. I try to convince Chris, and I try to convince everyone I saw, please do not watch Story of My Wife. But well, look, I uh, I ended up in a situation where I had a ton of unclaimed FlexiPass tickets, and I've liked previous films by the director, so I thought, you know what, I'll give. I loved it. On Body and Soul actually. I really liked. Yeah. Them. The, okay, so watching the, I, I've only seen two films from her. One made in the late '80s, um, My Twentieth Century, and the other one is On Body and Soul. And from watching the two, um, you know, thirty years apart, obviously people's styles and and pre, um, preoccupations can change, um, but. I thought this is a really chameleonic director. I can't, you know, you would never think that these were made by the same filmmaker. But um, well, that much is true, actually. You wouldn't right. think these three films were made by the same director. That's right. But here's they're the all thing. over the place. Exactly. Here's the thing. Um, though, at least those pre- aforementioned previous films 
have a creativity and a spark to them. You can see that it's a person thinking about how can I try to use form to convey new experiences. Whereas this film um, epitomizes, if I can go all uh, wanky film critic on you, this film epitomizes um, Andre Bazin's criticism of French cinema about the tradition of quality, which he calls white elephant art. Look at this grand white elephant. It's so huge and grand. It's based on a, a great book. It's a literary adaptation and it has people from the old world of prestige wearing costumes. This film epitomizes that, right? It's this huge, like, why did this filmmaker want to make this huge, um, very classical film in this kind of style? Um, it's so kind of stodgy and so lacking in the humor or the um, subtleties that was in her previous films. And the fatal flaw is that it's written and performed in English by people of various European persuasions. So there's this kind of weird stilted rhythm and strange yeah. colloquialisms being used that stop the people from ever really feeling like real people, despite some, despite this, somewhat decent performances. No, I think the performances were also kind of stilted. They, they are, they, but there's moments where they work. Actually, the film, I think, the, works the, in moments. I, I think, I think, look, we, we, we should give, give, give some kind of semblance but, to the yeah, plot right. or, or what it's about. So it's basically about a, uh, a sea captain or a, what do you call him, a sailor a or a sea captain? captain? He's a sea, sea captain, captain, right, yeah. Sea captain. Always away on trips. Yeah, right? he's, he was always away on trips, very busy. There was no time to settle down. Eventually finds a, you know, attractive woman, meets, uh, has a whirlwind kind yeah, of moment. It's because he's told on a ship that, um, you know, because he's talking about stress and stomach aches and, she, and he, they say having a wife helps. So then exactly. he decides for him, it's basically it's it's an arranged marriage situation where he could just be like, oh, you know, this is a this is a solution to my problem. It's not as if he wants to settle down. So yeah. It's so he decides to, to marry the first woman who walks into a bar he's at with his or a cafe he's at with his friend. And yeah. I guess and that, that happens to be like the very attractive Lisa Do. So he's I mean, lucky. But what, what are the odds? And uh, she goes along with it like as a game where I thought, okay, is this going to be like a certified copy type story? Um, yeah. Where it's like, is it is it real? Is it a game? And what, where do they blur? But no, it ends up being this kind of very strange. Look, I'll, I'll give um, I'll give full disclosure. I was extremely tired, and it's been a very long week for me on multiple levels. No, the film's so, back. Um, there's certain movies. No, I, I know that you're not going to be able to give your full attention to at a film festival. For me, this was one of them. So there's times that while my eyes remained open and focused on the screen, I just tuned out, and then I would say, "Hang on, this happened in the plot." So maybe I haven't fully watched this movie. But what I grasp of this is a very confusing dynamic where um, I was always wondering what actually was going on. And like, what is this about? What's actually okay, going on between the man and his wife? He, he goes away. It's basically, oh, sorry. he starts uh, descending into uh, a bout of paranoia and, and, and just, uh, there is a descent into madness territory where he becomes more and more jealous because as he's away on trips as a sea captain, he becomes convinced that his wife is having multiple affairs behind yeah. his back. But, like, but there's nothing to actually be, justify this. Yeah. There's, there's nothing, nothing to yeah. actually convey why this Except could be the case. for the weird, hot and cold way she acts with him. And yeah. I was always wondering... But that's because like, she, they had a very swift marriage. There wasn't much of a courtship to begin with. Exactly. So and if it's treated as kind of a joke, why would you be expecting this person to take you seriously um, and uh, commit to you in that way? But he's a completely irrational character. And at a certain point, it's like, I can't believe in these people. And Everybody was irrational in this film. It, it just nothing, none of the character motivation made any sense. That's right. Dialogue was very stilted. 
performances felt very it's super yeah. repetitive where he comes home and she is acting coyish and trying to seduce him it's like yes my wife really loves me and then other times he he um and then he goes away he comes back and she's being cold to him um and uh they have a a very oscar dramery old-timey prestige movie fight where people you know throw things and break things and then some time changes and then they're being nice to each other again and i was wondering what is the connective tissue what why, why is their relationship changing what are these people actually going through what the hell is going on ultimately after three and that's the thing it's 170 minutes yeah. i had no idea what was driving any of this really beyond an idea of like my mysterious unknowable wife and male frustrations which is too broad to and lacking in depth to justify this kind of thing and then at the it was just funny to me the, the ending this final reveal that's clearly meant to be hard hitting just lands with such an embarrassing thud did you feel that ending was just sad wait wait was it meant to be a, a reveal of any it's meant kind? to be a shock moment a mo it's meant to be an impactful moment for the main character, I think. Not a huge shock, but it's meant to summarize and bring emotional catharsis. And for oh, me, I- okay, I, I didn't feel that. Okay, okay. I didn't even feel that was a shocking moment. I just thought, okay. No, it wasn't a shocking moment for me. I'm, I just felt like it was meant to land that way and it was landing with such a thud, but it's funny oh, yeah. that it didn't even register that way at all. Um, apparently, this is based on a book. Apparently the book's quite good. I think um, sometimes ideas that work in literature when you can hear someone's internal dialogue this kind of feels very 20th century kind of a sprawling Les Miserables kind of a book, or at least that's why like I can compare that it level of uh, it, yeah. it needs a it's a Dickensian narrative kind of a feel to it. Yeah, right? that's why I compare it to the white elephant art idea. Like, look at this yeah. grand tradition. Great expectations, kind of yeah. Oliver Twist kind of feel to it. Yeah, I could see it working in a book if I could hear a bit of what these people are going through and it could explore in a better way these um, strange psychological motivations. But yeah. we don't get that. And I was confused and bored. And it's way too long for a drama that cycles in circles. It's just, and it's sad and serious. And why, I agree. Was, why is any of this happening and why do I care, you know? It's the worst film of the festival by, by, by far. Oh man, there probably are worse films, but we haven't seen them. That's good. It's, it's the worst film of the far, competition. It's the worst film of the competition. I doubt The Drover's Wife could be worse, but who knows? Um, until you see it, it's like Schrodinger's yeah. film. So uh, right. the quality doesn't exist, so um, regardless of what anyone else says. So uh, make up your own mind about movies. Don't just uh, take our recommendations. Yeah, exactly. Like, if there's something take you take away, don't listen to us. It's not an echo chamber. Yeah, listen exactly. To, listen to our perspective. See whether it aligns with your perspective. This is something you want to watch. Exactly. You, know, you might want to watch Zola because it could be your, right up your alley. That's it. And we you love, might want to watch Hive. It's yeah, fine. that's it. We love feedback. We love um, hearing how we got it wrong let us know you know uh we can engage in a conversation with us all right i love movies and enjoy the dispatch of the films <laughs> the french dispatch maybe i hope i enjoy it yeah goodbye everyone thank you